we are going to go ahead and get started. This is my last night with you. Thank you. If at least one person hadn't done that, I would have gotten off stage and walked away, okay? It is, it, I cannot even begin to describe for all of you what a gift it is for me to be able to be here. I was brought to Christ at a conference much like this, at a time when I was searching and trying to understand who I was and whose I was, and I heard someone communicate the gospel, and it was through that time that I realized how much God actually loved me. So to be able to be up here, to be able to talk about these things with you is an amazingly full circle thing that God has done in my life. And I hope, I hope that you are able to walk away with this week, from this week, with even just an inkling of how much God loves you, how much he cares for you. Because when we talk about what peace with God means, that's what we're talking about, right? We said it night after night after night, that peace with God is that change in identity that he has purchased for us by the blood of his son. And so tonight we're going to continue in that conversation by talking about how the peace that we have with God, how the peace of God in our lives that he gives us through his son, Jesus Christ, as we take hold of his promises like we talked about last night and we enter into his presence, how that very peace informs peace in our relationships. How we enter into relationships with other people, be that friendships, be that relationship with your parents, dating relationship, whatever else it is, the peace of God informs, gives power to, flows into the relationships that we have with other people. So I want to start simply by reading this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, which will show up here. And I know this is going to seem silly, but in my church, we stand for the reading of God's word. So I would love it if you guys would stand as I read this passage for us. We are going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and it says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that tonight you would do a great work in us once again. Father, that your spirit would be at work here in my heart and in the hearts of the leaders and the students, Lord, of everyone who's gathered in this room, that we would be captivated so captivated by your love for us that it would lead us into deeper, more peaceful, more restorative relationships with other people. Lord, as you have grabbed us, I pray that we would be those who would go out and we would love others well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. That was the most Southern my voice has ever been was in that one moment just then. 
being around y'all has deeply affected me in ways. All right, this is what I want you to do. All right, you tracking? Look up here. I want you to picture in your mind the most difficult person in your life right now. Picture in your mind the person that it is the hardest for you to love. Some of you, that's going to happen very quickly. You're like, it's my sister. I didn't even have to think about it. For some of you, it might take longer, right? You might be like, I consider myself to be a relatively agreeable person unless you put me in a car. So I feel like for some of you, it might take a little bit longer. But I want you in this time to think of the person who is the most difficult for you to love who it's the most difficult for you to enter into a relationship with. While you're picturing that person, I'm going to tell you who that person is for me as of two weeks ago. All right. I'm going to tell you this story, and I need no one to judge me. We went to the beach with my family, my wife, my three daughters, my brother and his family. We went to St. Augustine Beach, uh, St. Augustine, Florida, a couple of weeks ago. It's on the other side of Florida. Uh, we went to go get smoothies one night. They had this little walk-up smoothie place. So you could walk up and you could sit at this little kind of like patio area. You order at a window, you sit, you get a smoothie, you enjoy yourself, you have conversation, it's great. There's a little, little porch where we were sitting and then there's a patio down here with some hammocks that we were overlooking. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting at this, this railing with my six-year-old daughter, my sweet, innocent, perfect six-year-old daughter. She's only six. I'm sitting there with her. We're, taking, we're drinking smoothies. And there's this Justin Bieber-looking kid that's like down here. You're picturing, like early Justin Bieber, not tatted up, kind of crazy-looking Justin Bieber. And he's sitting in this hammock with no shirt on, much like many of you boys were this week. And he's sitting in this hammock with no shirt on. And I'm sitting next to my sweet, innocent six-year-old daughter, and she's just staring at this kid. Shut up. And she's sitting there, and she's staring at this kid. And I mean, I'm like, she has really long eyelashes, so the, like, fluttering was really obvious. And she's just fluttering her eyelashes. And I'm, like, wildly trying to avoid looking at her because I'm starting to realize what's going on. And I'm talking to my brother, and then I'm looking back at her and then looking quickly away and talking to my brother again. And I kid you not, this goes on for 10 minutes. Locked eye contact on with this kid. He's oblivious because he's this Justin Bieber-looking kid, and he just doesn't care about anything but himself. But he's sitting in the hammock, and, and after like 10 minutes of this, I kid you not, my sweet, beautiful, innocent six-year-old daughter looks at me, and I'm going to try to do this, but I'm not sweet, cute, innocent, or six. So she goes, Daddy, in that voice, I'm not kidding, it's in that voice, she goes, Daddy. Don't you think that boy in the, ham in the hammock is handsome? <laughs> Six years old! It's too young! I, I kid you not, that after my jaw retrieved itself from the floor, I almost went down and had words with that kid. I almost went down there. I wanted to accost him, but because I'm a pastor, I decided that was unacceptable. So I almost went down there and was just like, sir, can you please put your shirt on? Like, young man, please wear clothes. But in that moment, I realize the story is ridiculous. In that moment, I just need to get it off my chest. In that moment, that kid became the most difficult person for me to love. I say that because as ridiculous as that story is, think about the fact that this kid had done nothing to harm me. This kid had done nothing 
wrong against me except simply exist and remove his clothing. Okay? But I immediately in that instance made him an enemy because that's what we do. Relationships with other people are hard. No matter how hard we try, no matter how agreeable we think we are, when we enter into relationships with other people, we automatically start to measure ourselves against them and go, yeah, they need to do some things. If you're picturing that person in your mind who's the most difficult for you to love, I might ask the question, what would it take for them to no longer be difficult? What would it take for you to be good with that person? If you're anything like me, then I would guess that what you would say is that they need to fix something about themselves. Right? Justin Bieber kid needs to put a shirt on. What does the person in your life need to do? Do they need to like different things? Do they need to dress in a different way? Do they need to behave differently around you? Do they need to be easier on you if it's a parent or if it's a teacher or a coach? What is it that they need to do in order to make your life easier? I say that because that's, that's where our hearts go when it comes to relationships. So rarely when we have difficulty in relationships is our automatic reaction to go, okay, what, what's, what's up with me in this? So often we look at the other person and go, here's the five things that you need to fix about yourself. But what I want us to wrestle with tonight, as we have been wrestling with God all of this week, is how does the peace of God change that? How is it that our changed and renewed and restored relationship with God through Christ change how we enter into relationships with other people and how we enter into community? Paul is writing about that in Ephesians chapter 2. And there's a lot here and a lot of words that might make you uncomfortable. But in this passage, he has incredibly beautiful things to say about what a relationship with Christ and peace with God actually means for how we enter into relationships with other people. The first thing he says is this. Listen. Therefore, if everything he said up to this point is true, all of the things he said, we were dead in our transgressions, but we were made alive by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. If all of that stuff is true, then you need to remember something. And he's writing to this audience who was primarily non-Jewish. Gentile means non-Jewish. They didn't follow the laws of God. They didn't have the outward marking of God's people. They were the outsiders. They were the them. We like to create us's and them's. They were the them. And Paul writes, listen, you need to remember something. Once you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at a certain time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. He's saying that before we can talk about what it means to enter into community with other people, what have we said all week long? You need to look at yourself first. You need to remember who you are. You need to remember what has happened to you. Before you can enter into a relationship with someone else, you need to remember that you were the one who was far off. Not just the people to whom he's writing at this time, but you and me here today. At one point, if you claim that you are a Christian, you put your faith in Christ, and at one point, you were the person who was far off. You were the person who was alienated. You were the person who was separated. You were the person who had no hope and were without God. But, but, he says, now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What I want to talk about before we can get into what it looks like to love other people, what we can never forget and what we have to remind ourselves of 
Every single day, every single hour, every single second that we live in this world is the embrace of Christ. That before we can begin to talk about what it means to embrace other people, we have to remember that Christ first embraced us. That we were far off and that now we've been bought and paid for. That we were alienated, but Christ paid the price for our alienation. Remember, he cried out from the cross, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I sitting here today who have put our faith in Christ will never have to. We were far off. We were separated. And by the blood of Christ, we have been brought near. We have been embraced by him. We were the other. We were the outsider. But Christ brought us near. I say that because one of, the reason we have to look there first, at the embrace of Christ first, one of the central difficulties in human relationships, this is true in middle school and pretty much until you die, is insecurity. One of the central difficulties in relationships is insecurity. We have a hard time loving other people because we're constantly wondering whether or not we are loved. I have struggled all of my life with insecurity. Right? We wonder whether or not other people can love us. We wonder whether or not we are worthy. We wonder whether or not we are appreciated. We want other people to affirm us. And when it comes to relationships with other people, where this leads us is to places where we only want to move towards those people who can affirm us and bring us up in the world. If we think that person can either make us feel better about ourselves, bring up our social status, put us in the in crowd, we'll move towards that person. But any person that cannot do that for us, we dismiss. Right? If you're not going to make me feel better about myself, if you're not going to bring me up in my social group and among my friends, then I want nothing to do with you. That's where insecurity leads us. But the beginning of healthy, self-sacrificial relationships is that reminder that you have already been loved, that you have every single thing that you could ever need in the person of Jesus Christ, that he has filled you up, that he has embraced you. And so what you're seeking in all of these other relationships that you will never find, you've already been given freely in Jesus Christ. You have been embraced by him. Okay, so before we can talk about what it means to embrace other people, we need to consider how we have been embraced by Christ. But he moves on. He's talking to those who are far off, and he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Who are us both? Right? It's those who are far off, it's the non-Jewish people, and it's those who are near, it's the Jewish people. Right? The non-Jewish people, they weren't worshiping God, they didn't have the mark of God, they weren't Yahweh followers, but the Jewish people, they thought by their righteousness and by their good works and everything else they were going to be right with God, but they weren't either. In verse 17, it says that Christ came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, who were near. And now Paul says, for he himself, Christ is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We are told that in the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not only is peace made between us and God, 
which is what we've talked about all this week, but peace is made between us and others. How? By our need for Jesus Christ. By the one access that we have to salvation through Jesus Christ. He's saying the Jewish people needed Jesus Christ to fulfill the law for them. They needed him to pay the price for their sins, and so did the Gentiles. He's saying you now, two formerly incredibly hostile parties, are brought together by one act, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. The thing that binds us in community with other Christians, if you're in a youth group and you're with other people who claim faith in Jesus Christ, it's still just as hard to love each other as anybody else. But the one thing that scripture goes after again and again and again is a call for God's people, those who claim faith in Jesus Christ, to be unified, to be one. And we act like it doesn't matter. And we live as if we don't care. And yet, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, you have one common ground to stand on. And it is the person of Jesus Christ who died for you to make you one. Who, in his death, actually killed the hostility that used to exist between these two formerly hostile parties. They have been made one through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so you and I, as we enter into relationships with other believers, enter in on that common ground of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But when it comes to those who are not Christians, right? Many of you might be in schools where you're surrounded by those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Where's the common ground to stand on there? If what Paul is writing in this passage is true, and I believe that it is, then that common ground is on our need for Jesus Christ. With other believers, we share in common our faith in Jesus Christ, but with everyone in the world, every single human who has lived on this earth apart from Jesus himself, we share our need for Jesus Christ. And so in the same way that the embrace of Christ deals with our inherent insecurity that we bring into relationships, it also helps us to deal with that sense of superiority that we often bring into relationships. Right? One of the other difficulties that we have when it comes into being a friend or being in a dating relationship or even just relating to your parents or your siblings is that sense of, I'm up here and all I can see is what's wrong with you down here. We do this with real people. We do this with people we've never met. Right? Maybe you're playing Fortnite and some kid starts having words with you and now they're down here. You've never even met this person and now they're your enemy. And now you've made them something less than human. We do this online with other people. Maybe somebody posts something online. We've never met this person, or maybe we have, but we go, oh, that's the type of person you are. You're not the kind of person I want to associate with. You're not the kind of person I can love. You're not worthy of the relationship with me. We've put them down here. Maybe it's, again, it's somebody that you interact with, and you go, oh, they're that kind of kid that does that kind of stuff. I can't possibly move toward them because I'm too good. Even if we're not saying this stuff out loud, it's the, the narrative that we put in our, our heads about what it's like to love other people. And so we put people down here and ourselves up here, and we go, okay, you need to come up here if we're really going to love each other. But the gospel says, no, we cannot measure each other by our merits. We cannot enter into relationships with other people and put ourselves up here and say, we can love each other when you meet me here. 
The gospel says we need to enter into relationships and measure one another on the basis of our brokenness. We cannot begin to love other people until we first recognize that we had need. It is embraced people who embrace others, okay? It is people who have recognized that they have been held by the gentle arms of Jesus Christ who can then go to other people who are difficult, who don't fit our patterns of what we think someone who's cool is, and actually begin to move towards them. Because if we're constantly wondering whether or not our cup is full enough, whether or not we're loved, then we're going to want to use other people. Or if we constantly think, I'm above this, I don't need to interact with these other people, then we're never going to be able to move towards them. It's only ever going to be about us. But the gospel says, listen, every single human being in this world has a common ground to stand on. It's not just faith in Christ. It's our need for Jesus Christ. The fact that we are imperfect. The fact that we are broken. I want to kind of present two contrasting stories here, okay? There's a book in the back right now. It's called Jaber Crow. It's written by a man named Wendell Berry. It's very long and slow, and I love it. But I don't know that you would, so, you know, we'll talk about it later. In that book, Jaber was going to go into ministry, and then he instead decides to become a barber, which is a weird transition, but I dig it. And so he goes and he becomes a barber in this tiny, tiny town, And in that town, he falls in love with this girl, but she's married to another guy named Troy. And so one day, and nobody likes Troy, and one day he's sitting in this barber shop, and he's cutting somebody's hair, and then Troy walks in, and he sits down, and he starts talking to these other people over here. And he starts talking really loudly about all of the things that he hates. He hates Vietnam protesters, Right, If you know anything about your history, Vietnam War, there were a lot of people who didn't agree with it. And so he's talking about how all Vietnam protesters, they would need to be lined up and shot along with the communists. And Jaber stops cutting this guy's hair and he looks over at Troy, who's married to the woman that he loves, and he says, love your enemies. And Troy says, this is written in the book, so live with it. Where'd you get that crap? And Jaber says, Jesus Christ. And Troy says, oh. And the very last thing that's written in that section is Wendell Berry writing. And it would have been a historic moment in the history of Christianity, except I did not love Troy. Right? There's this part of us that wants to go, other people need to love their enemies. Other people need to love the people who are difficult in their lives. But we don't need to. But if we are people who have been captivated by the love of Jesus Christ, who have experienced being held in his arms and held in his love, then we cannot help but move towards those who still need his grace and who still need his mercy. And guess what? That's all of us. In contrast to the story with Jaber Crow, there's the story of a girl named Rachel Denhollander. She was on the news a year ago because she she testified in the trial of a man named Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser was a doctor with the USA Gymnastics team and at Michigan State University for decades. And in the decades that he was a doctor, he abused girls and women, over 150 of them. And on the last day of that testimony, 
this brave, powerful, incredible woman stands up in this courtroom and for 30 minutes talks to the judge and talks to her abuser and looks him in the face. And towards the end of that time, she says this, the Bible carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. Listen to this. Listen to this. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Here is a woman who had been abused at the hands of this man, who had abused over 150 women other than her, and she's looking him in the face, and she's saying, yeah, there's judgment. You're gonna feel guilt if you actually examine yourself, but there's also mercy. And so not only do I pray that you receive God's forgiveness, but I also forgive you as well. The only kind of person who can love like that, the only kind of person who can move towards someone that difficult is someone who has been captivated by the love of Christ in their own life, whose cup is so full to overflowing with the love and the presence of Jesus Christ in their life that they can't help but overflow into someone, even someone who has hurt and abused them like that. It doesn't take away from the suffering and the hurt that that woman has faced. But she's going, listen, I am forgiven. And so only by the grace of God, not by my goodness, can I now extend that forgiveness to you. What if you and I lived like that? Think about how your schools would change. Think about how your neighborhoods would change. Think about how your homes would change if you and I were the kind of people who lived like that, who were so convinced of God's love for us that we were able to extend it to other people, who stopped spending our entire lives trying to earn the affirmation and love of other people, trying to be good enough for God to love us, but actually went to God and said, God, I need you. And he offers it to you freely. A love that nothing in this world can possibly take from you. What we've said all week, a peace that surpasses all understanding that will never leave you. I pray for every single one of us that we would leave this week filled with that love and that peace. Because if we do, it's not going to be easy, but if we do, if we become people who love like we are loved by God, if we become embraced people who embrace others, then our schools will change. Then others' lives will change. Then our neighborhoods will change. And then our cities will change. And people will look at us and they will go, I want to know where that comes from. I want to know where that kind of hope, that kind of peace, and that kind of love comes from. Embraced people. Embrace others. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, I, I, 
Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you fill us like nothing in this world could possibly fill us. Forgive us for all of those ways in which we try to find what only you can offer in relationships with other people. God, in your mercy and your grace, convince us tonight. Remind us tonight of how much you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.